Hello, and welcome to another edition of Brussels Sprouts. I'm Andrea Kendall-Taylor. And I'm Jim Townsend. We're so glad you can join us. Uh, This past weekend, voters in the Czech Republic went to the polls for national parliamentary elections. And in a surprise result, incumbent Prime Minister Andre Babish narrowly lost his bid for re-election, while a three-party center-right coalition, SPOLU or SPOLU, um, meaning together, won the biggest vote share. Since taking office in 2017, Babish has frequently followed the lead of other populist leaders in Central and Eastern Europe, such as Hungary's Viktor Orban, most notably in his hardline anti-immigration policies. He's also been the subject of various scandals, having been accused of misusing EU funds, collaborating with communist era intelligence services, and most recently, hiding expensive real estate purchases that he made using offshore shell companies. Uh, But it may be too soon to count Bobish out. The president has said he will invite the largest party, which is the ANO in the vote share, uh, to form a government. And so there really are a lot of questions about where all this is headed, what it means for Czech democracy, the EU implications and the implications for the region. So to talk about all of these uh, questions, we're really excited to have two fantastic guests with us today. We have Martina Hervolova and Martin Halla joining us. So welcome to you both. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Wonderful. So just a little background on both of our guests today. Martina is a visiting fellow for democracy initiatives at the German Marshall Fund. She's an expert on Central and Eastern Europe, human rights and democracy, and she has more than 15 years of experience with high stake negotiations, policymaking and program management. And Martin is a sinologist and lecturer with Charles University in Prague. He's the founder and director of Synopsis, which is a project that provides analysis of China-related topics in Europe. And he's studied in Prague, Shanghai, Berkeley, Harvard, taught in Prague, and Bratislava. So really two excellent experts, like I said. So maybe to we'll start the conversation where we often do on Brussels sprouts when we're talking about elections, which is maybe to hear from both of you a little bit about the context in which this election took place. Um, you know, how popular was Bobish going into this vote? Of course, we had the Pandora Papers. Um, how much impact do you think that had on the election? Maybe if you can maybe just each take a couple of minutes and set the stage for this election in the Czech Republic. And Martina, happy to start with you. Thank you, Andrea. Um, and thank you, Jim, also for having me. Oh, I, uh, you know, I... I will probably avoid making any grand statements or bold conclusions uh, because the situation in the Czech Republic is very fluid and dynamic. But your question on how popular uh, was Babish going into the election, I would say that it's also hard to um, tell because when you look at the polls uh, from the beginning of this year, he wasn't a front runner and then the situation changed. And then you refer to the Pandora Papers, which were released uh, uh, earlier this week, uh, past this past Sunday, I believe. Uh, and we already heard some of the local press uh, contemplating uh, that Babish lost to a great deal also because of uh, the release of the P- Pandora Papers. I think it was uh, one of the Czech uh, local um, um, media, uh, if I'm not wrong, it was the state television uh, that concluded that 
uh, Babish lost up to 8% of his voters uh, due to the release of, uh, of Pandora Papers. And I personally would be very much interested uh, to know if there, there is any outside interference uh, in all of this, uh, but I'll leave it up to Martin uh, to respond to this question. Yeah, Martin, maybe you can chime in again and kind of do some of the stage setting. And in the run-up to the election, you know, how was the media in Czech Republic framing this election? Kind of what was at stake? What was, again, what, what was that political context? Okay, so let me start with the popularity of uh, Babish. It's a, it's a very strange phenomenon because he, he seems to have a very stable voter base. So, you know, he's been through so many scandals that I would probably have difficulty even trying to remember them all. Uh, you know, the uh, the latest one with the Pandora Papers was just the, uh, you know, just tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. And he's been able to survive all of them. And uh, usually, according to the polls, it doesn't really change his uh, support, uh, you know, the preferences that, he's, that, he, that he has among the voters very much. So this, this last incident, the Pandora Papers, uh, Martina was exactly right. So the, the estimates are that... Uh, uh, it may have turned off about 8% of his voters. But at the same time, according to another statistics, it actually uh, it, it actually made another 4% uh, undecided voters to vote for him because they thought it was a provocation. So, you know, he may have lost some voters, but he, apparently he also gained others. And in any case, it didn't probably change the, the arithmetics very much. So his, his support base is uh, pretty much stable. It's around 30%. Uh, in this election, he got uh, almost exactly the same number of votes as in the last uh, election. So uh, nothing much changed there. The, the support for him is stable and sort of like a very strange sociological and, uh, and uh, political phenomenon uh, you know, that we, we have been debating here in, in, the, in the Czech Republic. Czech Republic back and forth because it, you know, frankly, it doesn't make sense, right, from the outside. Uh, but if you look at it from, uh, you know, from the inside through the through the eyes of his supporters, they find it perfectly logical. I had many such discussions uh, with people who actually vote for him. So anyhow, the 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 support for Babish hasn't changed. What changed? What did change in this uh, election? And what 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 was the uh, probably the decisive factor? was that some of the smaller parties that uh, normally would become potential allies of uh, the ANO movement of uh, Babish's party didn't get into the parliament. Uh, and very closely, you know, the, the threshold is 5%. And there were at least two parties that got just below that, like by, by you know, zero point, I don't know what, like uh, very close to the threshold, but didn't make it. So they're not in the parliament. And that makes all the difference. So he lost his uh, potential allies, most of them, uh, which means that the opposition will probably be able to form the form the government. And uh, you know, in terms of the of the campaign, uh, it was framed as always as you know the most important elections in I don't know how long history has had in the in the in the in the last uh, decade, and it may actually have been the most important election since uh, you know 2013 probably which is when the Czech politics turned 
sour, so to speak. That was the year when the current president was elected in the first direct presidential elections. Uh, and ever since that time, you could argue, I would argue, that the Czech politics have uh, had been going downhill. So it seems that now there might be a change in that trend. And, uh, you know, the tide of populism that we have seen in the last decade could uh, hopefully turn around again. So can we pick up on that? Because I wonder, you know, so that, thank you for both for kind of setting the stage in the context and kind of putting Babish, you know, in, in, in the context of Czech politics. But looking forward now, I mean, obviously there's a lot of open-ended questions about how a government will be formed. I had read that it may be the case that the president could come in and say that he will award or invite um, the, the prime minister from the party who had the most votes to form a government. And since that SPOLU, or I'm not sure how you, how you say that, but since that is a coalition of three different parties, it would actually be ANO that did have the largest vote share. So is it too soon to count Babish out? Is it possible that you know, that, that given his alliance with the current president, that there, that even though he didn't win the largest vote share, that he may, he may hang on to his prime minister seat. And could I add to that too? Well, I understand the current president uh, is in the hospital or was, um, what is his health like? I know it was fragile. Um, so it's interesting to see if this is a bit of a race uh, between the president's health and, uh, and being able to weigh in on the, on the side of Babish. Yes, that's that's exactly right. Uh, he is still in the hospital in an intensive care unit, apparently in a very poor shape. Uh, you know, his his health uh, uh, has been troubled for for a very long time, and now he seems to be essentially incapacitated. Um, you know, there we don't know much much details about uh, the exact state of his health because the presidential office. Uh, keeps it uh, almost as a secret, so there are no no announcement, no 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 public information. But there were a few pictures from his transport to the hospital uh, just the other day. When was it? Two days ago. And apparently, at least it seems from those pictures, uh, he was unconscious. So he came into the hospital in an in, a, in, in an uncon unconscious state. Uh, so that uh, sort of creates a bit of a constitutional dilemma uh, because the president doesn't seem to be in uh, you know in 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 a physical state to, to actually perform his constitutional duties and there's a debate about that in the Czech Republic because there's an article 66 in the Czech constitution where the simple majority in the parliament in both chambers of the parliament can declare him incapacitated and uh, I think they're actually inching towards that moment. Martina, do you want to add on there? Yeah, thank you for uh, that update, Martin. Um, this goes back to the point I made at the beginning about the situation that is extremely fluid and dynamic and it's changing um, uh, pretty much every minute. I just checked the news, haven't seen uh, much on where uh, the Czech parliament is on um, the capacity um, or ability of the Czech president Zaman to carry out his, his duties. Uh, by the way, this is not the first time um, that uh, this question uh, has been raised uh, in, in the Czech parliament. I think uh, 
we we had a, a similar um, discussion there, though for uh, slightly different reasons earlier this year after uh, Verbiatice um, unfolded um, on um, on um, the the coalition potential of, um, of the outgoing Prime Minister Babish. I will need to go back to the point you made, Andrea, at the beginning um, about how he ran on anti-immigration policies. I think because uh, of, of these policies, he alienated uh, many of the uh, partners that could uh, potentially um, consider uh, partnering with him, though the chances were always very, very low. But by running on anti-immigration uh, policies, I, I think he made more uh, enemies uh, than allies. Um, I agree with Martin's um, assessment of the situation. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, there has been a legal battle over uh, what the next steps and timeline should look like, depending on whether President Zeman is capable uh, of carrying out uh, his his powers or not. Um, but I believe that we should have um, some uh, some progress um, by November 8th at the latest, uh, because that's when um, uh, we have the deadline or uh, the Czech Republic has the deadline um, to convene uh, the, the parliament, uh, the new chamber, uh, I believe. Uh, so um, it remains to be seen. Um, it also depends, uh, Babish's uh, coalition potential depends on the ability of the other parties um, to stick together, right? Um, and uh, based on what I what I hear and read from local uh, sources, the only uh, dividing issue there, or the major, I would say, is um, uh, the, the topic of uh, same-sex marriages. Um, so um, again, uh, depends on how the others uh, will behave, uh, conduct themselves. Uh, we heard that uh, other parties started uh, their coalition talks uh, already on Saturday night, but again, there is not much clarity as to what the potential is um, as far as uh, uh, the role of uh, Prime Minister Babish uh, for the future is, is concerned. Um, the opposition parties, what used to be the opposition parties, are already floating around some uh, names uh, for um, some of the secretaries in the new government. Uh, but again, I, I think it's a little uh, early uh, to tell. Well, I might, I might just uh, add to what Martina said that the, the numbers are quite clear because you know we have a 200 strong parliament and the opposition uh, clearly won 108 of these mandate, mandates. So they have, they, have a, they have a rather comfortable majority in, in the parliament. So, uh, you know, even if the president comes back from his current state and plays, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, uh, tricks, I would say, like he, like he did, for instance, in 2013, with the constitution and and uh, if he does name Babish, uh, if he does uh, uh, ask Babish to form the government, Babish would not be able to do so un unless he managed to break away, you know, from the coalition some of the some of the participating parties, which is very unlikely because uh, you know both of these formerly opposition coalitions that uh, effectively won the elections seem to be very coherent and stick together. And uh, there is a general sense in the Czech Republic and even in the political establishment that, uh, uh, you know, this was a decisive election that uh, sort of uh, decided the, uh, the conflict between populism and, and uh, democracy, if you will. 
So uh, there, you know, the, the coalition parties, uh, their members have very few incentives to, to actually break away and join Babish. So his coalition potential is minimal. So uh, what the president can do, he can ask him to form a, form a government, he would fail, and that would only delay, you know, the, the process of formation of the, of the new government. And uh, in fact, that's very likely what's going to happen if the president actually comes back from uh, what seems to be a, a, a pretty dire um, uh, uh, health condition right now. Well, there's certainly a dramatic uh, situation politically. Uh, it's just uh, amazing. And I think one metric of that is the story of the Czech elections are in the Washington newspapers all the time now. And uh, as you know, Washington can only uh, look inward. We're very, very difficult for Washingtonians to look outside the District of Columbia. So the fact that that's in the paper shows that everyone's interested. And I think it's you're, you've given us a lot to think about and a lot to um, to learn uh, in terms of how things are. So let me, with that in mind and thinking about our listeners, not just here in the U US or in the Beltway, but in Europe too, tell us what you think in terms of what this means for the region. Uh, you know, Hungary and Orban, is all, that's always been the, the case study, you know, about problems of backsliding in terms of democracy, et cetera. Poland, though, certainly plays a role and, and has thrown the gauntlet down over the past week in terms of challenging the EU courts and, uh, and EU, uh, the power of the European Union over the states, uh, which is its own drama. Um, but, uh, you know, there's now what you're talking about here in the Czech Republic, but Slovenia, Slovakia as well. What's the region? What's happening in the region? Are we seeing a... a um, is, is, this a, is this a factor of what politics are like and society is like and reflects the voters in, in, in that region? This is, this is not a one-off, but this is just as how people feel. You were mentioning uh, same-sex marriage and things like that. Or is this what, what we call backsliding? Is this really some kind of a, a one-off in some ways? Uh, and, um, and, and frankly, uh, what's happening in the Czech Republic uh, is gonna be potentially the rise of the people of the region saying we need to stop sliding backwards and start moving forwards. How does this feel to you on a regional basis? I know it's early, but how does this feel regionally? Um, and particularly Slovakia, Slovenia, we don't hear a whole lot about them, but I, as I, but I think they are part of this, uh, this basket of, of, um, of, of interesting politics. I will probably start by saying that what we've seen in the Czech Republic is, uh, Republic is of course, a big swing, and it's pretty significant, uh, also in the regional uh, context. Now, again, there is a question of uh, what the next government is, uh, is going to look like, and then also uh, how significant is the damage uh, they'll have to undo, right? Um, just to give you a specific example of uh, one of the challenges uh, the local agencies uh, will continue facing is the immunity of uh, Prime Minister Babish, right? He's been under criminal investigation for some of his uh, allegedly corrupted dealings. Now uh, he gained immunity again. Um, and it's really hard to tell who's a winner uh, in, in this election. Uh, losers are obvious. It's the social uh, democracy um, or democratic party and communist 
I'm not quite sure it's a it's a good news uh, that the Czech Republic no longer has a strong uh, social uh, democratic party. Um, the rest uh, of the parties probably see themselves as winners uh, to great extent, um, including Prime Minister's um, party. Uh, but I also believe all of them, maybe with the exception of the mayors, uh, have some um, some self-reflection to do. And now it's going to be very important to see how that will translate into their future uh, activity, right? When, whether it comes to legislation or um, the enforcement, um, and it's it's really hard to predict. I've seen a lot of um, uh, positive uh, comments uh, coming out of um, local press outlets uh, from across the region. Everybody seems to be very excited uh, about um, the change uh, that we just uh, seen in the Czech Republic. But again, it's a little uh, too early uh, to tell because they will have a lot to deal with. And it remains to be seen how they will uh, handle some of these challenges that I mentioned. Uh, to give you another specific example, I, I personally am very much interested in how they will um, cope with uh, what some people would call uh, capture of uh, some of the security services uh, in the Czech Republic, which is extremely important also from the transatlantic um, standpoint. So again, um, it's hard to tell what the future holds. Uh, I tend to remain cautiously optimistic. Um, I also seen a really great uh, piece. Uh, um, it was written in Slovak, unfortunately, uh, on uh, how the Czech Republic should not embark on the Slovak journey, um, uh, meaning um, that um, there are some people who are worried that even if, um, if the winning parties or the coalitions uh, manage uh, to form a government in the Czech Republic, it's going to be very difficult uh, to keep it together. Uh, again, they may have uh, diverging views on important issues. Uh, foreign policy hopefully will not be uh, one of those issues, but um, it will be interesting to watch how, how they will handle any differences uh, of opinions uh, they may have amongst uh, themselves. But again, I remain cautiously optimistic. Right. Well, I, I would I would maybe start with a little uh, detour just just to respond uh, to uh, what Martina said about the uh, you know the, the Czech nominal left sort of falling out of the parliament, which normally would be probably uh, you know not a not a very good sign. But I would not shed too many tears for the Social Democratic Party for the Czech Social Democratic Party. It's uh, you know in my mind it was uh, quite different. It is quite different from from what you understand uh, by social democracy in uh, places like Northern Europe. It's, uh, you know, the, um, the two parties that, uh, that uh, dropped from the parliament, the Communist Party and the, the Social Democratic Party are closely intertwined in certain respect because the, you know, unlike many of the other countries in the former Eastern Bloc, the, the Czech Communist Party never really reformed itself. So it was an unreformed Communist Party very much in the mold of the pre-89 communist parties in Eastern Europe. Uh, so the uh, many of the members who were disappointed with this, who were more in the reform communism uh, mindset, they moved on to the social demo democracy, which also changed the social democratic party to something like a, you know, like reformed 
communists. So uh, you know, it 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 was the point is that it, it really was quite different from uh, from what we would otherwise what we normally understand as um, social democracy. So uh, no regrets there. I think it's a good riddance, in my opinion. Of course, you, you know, you, you. It's, it's an old party. It's the oldest traditional party in the Czech Republic. So, and and we, you know, we, we could use some social democratic uh, entity in the local political scene. But this Czech social democratic party was not was not that. But now back to the, back to your question, which was really about the the regional repercussions, and uh, I. I hope it wasn't a one-off, but I also uh, would probably be reluctant to expect, uh, you know, too much in terms of uh, influence throughout the region. I think what's, uh, what seems to be happening is that the, the former Czechoslovakia is sort of setting itself apart from the rest of the Visegrad countries, from Poland and Hungary, in following a slightly uh, you know, more, uh, let's say, uh, democratic or or uh, or open course than than the other other two countries. But of course, there's uh, there's been quite a, quite a bit of backsliding in these two places as well. But I think the the elections in the Czech Republic and some developments in Slovakia show that uh, these two places, the former Czechoslovakia, might be slightly better off than than the rest of the region. That's a really interesting point, and maybe just to kind of pull that thread a little bit, what is it that you think is different about Czech Republic relative to Hungary and Poland? Because in many cases, in, in many ways, I think the story of Babish fits this story of kind of the rise of a out, political outsider. So, right, he came out, he made his fortune in chemicals, he creates his own party, a &O, in 2011, he wins the prime ministership in 2017. Um, the, the, you know, in Hungary, for example, Viktor Orban was there when Fidesz was created. So he was one who created that party in Hungary and Poland with the Law and Justice Party. The Kaczynskis were there creating that party. In a lot of these cases, these leaders create their own parties to launch themselves into power. And then the parties end up not being able to constrain their efforts to expand executive control in a meaningful way. So in many ways, the Czech Republic felt like it fit that mold. And so I wonder what it is that, that, that you think allowed, I don't know, society, other uh, horizontal parts of government to put constraints and limit the damage that Babish was ultimately able to do, because obviously there were signs that he seemed to want to move in that direction. But do you think that he was met with more constraints? There was more opposition to, to his efforts to dismantle democracy that weren't present in those other countries? And if I may jump on that real quick, who does that sound like to you? You know, uh, it sounds like Donald Trump uh, in so many ways, and I'm not trying to get political here. But I, but just to just to add on to that, um, I uh, I think the parallels with the United States are striking, and so just to say, when I earlier was talking about backsliding in Central Europe and Poland, Hungary, it's very hard for an American to shake a finger at other countries uh, in Europe in terms of democracy, shake a finger and uh, lecture them when we ourselves in this country are heading down that same path. Anyway, I'll say that back to you, uh, to our guest to answer Andrea's question. 
Well, then maybe let me start. I, you know, first of all, I don't think that Babish is an outsider. You know, he he was registered as a as a, a police informer in, before '89, even though he's still fighting uh, those accusations. But it's quite clear that he apparently was, uh, you know, uh, in those um, services, so to speak. Uh, so he was very well connected, and that's one explanation of his uh, economic rise after after 1989, after the uh, process of privatization started in, in the early 90s. Uh, it's not an unusual case. There, there have been many such cases when the former, you know, quote unquote, elite, if, if you will, pre-89 uh, elite, and I would again put it into, into, into quotation marks, uh, use their you know, pre-89 connections to uh, to gain economic benefit in the process of privatization. And that seems exactly what has happened in, in the Czech Republic with, uh, with Babish. Uh, you know, and there's, uh, it's actually been quite well documented because of course there's a lot of attention paid to Babish um, uh, in the media and uh, there's a lot of investigative journalists that are focusing on these issues. So no, no outsider, he was kind of an, you know, on the inside of the of the previous regime, and just uh, just use those connections to to rise up. So that's one thing. And I will see. You know, that, that's different. Different, for instance, from Orban, who actually started as a as a as an oppositional politician. You know, he, he actually looked quite reasonable in the very beginning, if you remember those days. Uh, you know, and then turned uh, sort of more and more autocratic, right? Um, so there's there's uh, quite a bit of difference between between these two figures, I would argue. And uh, why has he not succeeded in the Czech Republic? He actually has, you know, he he did pretty well until this elections. So he dominated the scene for a good number of years. Uh, and despite despite all of these facts, despite the fact that uh, there's a criminal investigation in him that there's an audit of the European Union that, that uh, points out the conflict of interest. Uh, you know, despite the fact that he was registered as, the, as, a, as, a, as a police informer, uh, which until recently was uh, not really seen, you know, I mean, there was a, until recently this would have probably turned off quite a few voters in the Czech Republic. It's just, it, now, now, nowadays it seems that people don't care anymore. So, you know, there were a lot of, factors that should have played against him and he still was able to dominate the Czech political scene. Then we also have to add that he's actually an outsider because he came from Slovakia. He doesn't speak proper Czech. You know, he's kind of funny in his in his public appearances because he, you know, he he speaks this mixture of Czech and Slovak. Uh, and people make fun of that all the time. So uh, I, I would argue that he actually did surprisingly well. Uh, given given all these factors. Martina, would you highlight anything about kind of what key constraints that may have been present in Czech Republic that were absent in in cases where the backsliding has has gone farther? Yeah, I would only add, and thank you, um, thank you, Martin, for uh, expanding um, on my points on social uh, democracy. I fully um, agree to that. Uh, the party in the Czech Republic um, that I had in mind was not the standard uh, social democratic party. So thank you for uh, for that. Um, on a comparison with uh, Hungary or even Poland, I. 
I see the the main difference in how far uh, Orban, for example, has been able uh, to get uh, with um, uh, some of his uh, powers um, legislation uh, that seen um, very little opposition in the parliament. Um, I don't think that Babish um, was in a position to table certain proposals, even if he wanted to, just because there would be a heavy opposition uh, in the Czech parliament against some of uh, some of the legislative pieces. Uh, I guess that we've seen in places like Hungary and Poland. And then what is probably also a lot different is the, the circle of the allies he could count on in terms of um, other oligarchs um, and allies he might have um, in in the state agencies. Um, I would say that the Czech Republic is very polarized and divided country compared to Hungary, for example, um, as far as, again, different viewpoints on some of the key issues are concerned. So I would say that's uh, what makes the Czech Republic different from Hungary, also Poland. The same goes for the state of media. Uh, we know that Babish himself um, uh, controls certain media in the Czech Republic, but again, the extent to which he could affect the public opinion is probably different than the extent that that Orban uh, can can exert um, his influence uh, in in Hungary. I would say, so those are uh, those are the main differences. Um, and I'll stop there. One kind of follow up question, um, Martin. You talked about you know that this was a positive story. It's a, the, the defeat of populism. I'm kind of reflecting on what Jim said. And certainly in our election here in 2020, we all had all hoped that this was a good news story for U.S. democracy and a defeat of an illiberal uh, and in many ways populist leader here in the United States. And yet President Trump is continuing to do his thing. And we're all concerned that, you know, he's thinking ahead about the next election and could run again. Um, Martin, you talked about, you know, how Babish has kind of been a Teflon candidate. A lot of these many corruption scandals, things just haven't really stuck to the him. He has a loyal base of supporters. That also sounds very familiar to the United States. Do you think this is the last that the Czech Republic has heard of Babish? Or do you think that he is, he, he'll still be, uh, you know, an important part of politics? And can you imagine him um, making a comeback and, and, and fighting for the prime ministership again in the future? Uh, I don't think he's going away, but I don't think he's going to be fighting for the prime ministership. I think uh, his plan uh, could be in the current situation to run for the president. You know, remember our, our current president is uh, in a very poor shape. And even if he survives, uh, his term would end uh, a little over a year from now. So soon we will have presidential elections and we have direct presidential elections. So, uh, you know, with his uh, loyal base of supporters, he might want to try and give it a shot. Uh, it's also that, uh, you know, in, in, in many ways, this would be a very, this would be a practical, I mean, he needs to stay in the politics, in the, in the politics, right? He, 
and, and preferably the position that provides immunity because there's there are these cases hanging against him. So you know the best way to avoid it, of course, would be to get an elected elected office that comes with uh, with immunity and uh, uh, of course the, the 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 position of the president who is like totally immune in the Czech system. You know, there's nothing you can do about the president once he's once he's elected, essentially. Uh, is probably quite attractive to him, I imagine, right now. If, if I could uh, jump in, Andre, I, 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 uh, if you can, well, let me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, you know, we were talking about this election and um, its impact on the region and kind of where was the region going in terms of maybe this is the beginning of a turnaround, maybe this might have an impact, but, but probably not, you know, we'll talk about that. But let's expand it from the region to, to Europe itself um, in terms of populism there, in terms of some trends in other countries. Um, Italy comes to mind thinking about their last election. Germany comes to mind. They just had their, their vote and we saw the AFD not doing as well uh, as one would have thought and, and uh, some interesting party dynamics there were, uh, with the SPD and and others, um, but you know, we saw a rise uh, in these far right parties over the past five years or so, and we saw um, some Donald Trump um, acolytes flying to Europe and working with uh, the far right populist parties to try to, uh, you know, I'm not sure what they were doing, but at least trying to uh, tap into that movement in, in Europe. Um, you know, the Czech election is, 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 again, it's too early to tell, and, and who knows the ripple effect in the coming years, but, but what's your feel about Europe-wide in terms of the strength of populist parties, in terms of the strengths of these uh, autocrat wannabes who are, or who are Trump-like in some ways and trying to rise up in politics? How does that, how does that look Europe-wide to you all? Well, to me, it seems that the rise in populism and the the autocratic tendencies, and uh, you know, uh, these these, uh, if you will, Trump-like politicians, is very much related to the uh, to the refugee crisis in 2015. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's an oversized response, sort of panicked response uh, of uh, parts of the electorate to what they suddenly came to see as uh, sort of like a mortal threat, almost. And uh, you know this might sound ridiculous, but I you know I I spent some time in the country here in the Czech Republic, and I talked to, to the people there, and they really are you know they really have apocalyptic expectations sometimes from you know another refugee waves uh, sweep, sweeping Europe, and this has been fed on by you know all sorts of uh, right wing politicians and uh, whole movements. So I think it's a it's it's a response to particular developments that happened in Europe, uh, you know, after 2015. And uh, I think if the, the question whether this, 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 this populist rise can be sustained depends on what happens in Europe. If there is another wave of, uh, of refugees coming to, to Europe, and of course, one has to keep Afghanistan in mind. And, uh, you know, there are also other places in the situation in Africa. Uh, sadly, uh, also can contribute to a potential crisis. So, if there is such a crisis, then I think the uh, the, the right wing element will suddenly exploit it, and we would probably see 
more of these trends to 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 uh, uh, emergent uh, growth in in Europe, all of Europe, not just Eastern Europe, all of Europe. Yeah, and I would I would only add to that um, that I also wonder, frankly, as I prepared for uh, for this talk, I wondered whether we could draw a blueprint on uh, the participation of local, uh, really community uh, leaders, politicians, but also civic leaders, based on what we've seen uh, in the Czech Republic, not only in this election but also in the past. Um, and the same for Hungary uh, to some extent, but then at the same time, you recently seen the announcement coming out of uh, Budapest uh, about the decision of the local mayor, right? And so I don't know, but we have never seen um, so many local leaders raising uh, to the extent we've seen it in this election in the Czech Republic, also in 2020 elections uh, in Slovakia. Um, the flip side of it is that they have to deliver now. Uh, and uh, everybody's already saying that um, the opportunity that these parties in the Czech Republic have today is the one they cannot afford to lose. Um, and so let's see uh, again uh, whether they'll be able to take a full advantage uh, of that opportunity on or not. And then on the ability of Brussels, to handle uh, some of the issues um, that you mentioned, Jim. Um, I agree with Martin uh, that it will to a great deal depend uh, on what else is on Brussels uh, plate. Um, I also agree uh, that what we've seen in terms of democratic backsliding in Central Europe is not unique to the region. Uh, we've seen it elsewhere. Um, and I, as someone who was posted to the European Union before, I tend to be rather skeptical about the ability of Brussels um, to address um, some of the democratic challenges. Um, we've seen great things happening at the European Union level, and I would like to highlight the example of Commissioner Jourova, right? Uh, but there is much more that needs to be done. It's really interesting that the Czech Republic will um, take over the EU presidency during the second half of uh, 2022. Uh, so it will be really interesting uh, to watch um, what happens, uh, depending on, again, who will be in the new government. We, of course, we know that the presidency has limited powers. Um, but again, it will, um, to great extent, depend on what's on Brussels' plate. Um, and I'll stop there. Well, th thank you all very much. I've just got one question, and I know Andrea is being very kind, letting me talk um, this much. But, but, but let me ask you both. You have you have in your personal lives, and uh, your academic lives, and your your lives uh, living um, in in that region. You've watched these uh, autocratic governments and the backsliding, and you've seen the signs of what it looks like. What, how it begins? What are the tools? What's the rhetoric? How does it look? I mean, each country is different, but 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 you see it and you feel it. As you look at the United States, what would you tell the Americans uh, that you're seeing that's similar to what you've seen in in the past number of years? Um, I you know what 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 advice would you give us? What what would you say that you're seeing that you were surprised to see happen in the United States? 
Um, what what are you? What would you say that look? We're seeing this and this and this happen. Your ju judiciary or whatever it might be, and we saw similar things in years past. And you Americans need to take heed. Um, what would you say to uh, to the Americans? Well, I probably wouldn't dare to give any advice to the Americans. Um, you know, I lived in the United States for a while. I studied there. I actually sort of expected this, uh, you know, Trumpian wave to hit America sooner or later uh, as kind of a backlash against uh, some of the, uh, uh, let's say, stronger liberal currents. You know, I, I studied at Berkeley in, in the early 90s. So, you know, I had it firsthand there. And um, I, I was not all that surprised that this uh, anti-liberal backlash eventually hit the United States. What I was surprised at was how strong it was. You know, they, I wouldn't have expected that. And uh, I think the the populist wave in, in uh, Europe, in particular in Central and Eastern Europe, has some similar roots. You know, the the arguments we hear most often from the um, uh, 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 you know, let's say, illiberal forces is complaints about how Brussels is pushing all these liberal values, you know, like exactly exact, like same-sex marriages, uh, you know, sort of that sort of thing that provokes certain part of the society uh, in Europe, just like it does in the United States. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's in, in, at a certain level, from a certain perspective, it boils down to the culture wars Again, you know, it's the we have a we have we have a cleavage in opinion, not just in opinion. It's in in self identification of people within societies. You know, within one society, there will be people with a very different understanding of uh, you know what uh, what a human being is and uh, how society should be should be organized. And uh, I think that there are big similarities between the US and Europe and this. Thank you, Martina. Thank you for that question. Um, it's, um, it's a tough one for me. Um, as I'm, uh, like I like to say, um, grateful American, proud Slovakian, born and raised um, in what was communist Czechoslovakia. So I remember what it was like to live behind the iron curtain. Um, they moved to the United States um, six years ago after, fun fact, winning a green card in the US lottery. Um, so I, I lived on both sides uh, of the Atlantic and, and, but still it's really hard for me to tell. Uh, my advice would probably be um, and I'm not inventing a wheel here. Um, you know, if um, if something looks too good, it's probably uh, what it looks like. Um, so it's not really very good. And then if uh, you don't like something, um, then change it. Um, this is something that Europeans, I believe, still have to learn. Um, but I think it's a legacy 
also of uh, what happened in the late 80s and 90s, um, that the generation of, of uh, folks at my age is, is not necessarily active, um, and it's something I would personally change. What I like about the United States is that, um, again, we have so many opportunities here to change things for better. Um, but I would also say it's extremely important to be respectful to each other, uh, keep things and dialogue civilized. I personally am big on bipartisanship. And so I hope that whatever um, you're trying to do here at home or in Europe will ultimately benefit um, all of us. And so I, I believe bipartisanship and and compromise are um, the way to go. Well, this has been such a wonderful discussion. And Jim, that was a fabulous question. And Martin and Martina, thank you so much for those responses. Those are obviously issues that you know we in the United States are grappling with. There's been a lot of kind of major articles written, Bob Kagan and some responses that have highlighted really the danger um, that American democracy is faces, facing that with the election of President Biden, we're not anywhere near out of the woods. And so being able to talk with other you know, democratic societies about the challenges that we face um, is, is really important. And I hope that you know, it's clear that these are challenges that we share on both sides of, of the Atlantic. Um, and so working together to, to try to strengthen and revitalize and in some cases repair our democracies is, you know, hopefully will continue to be front and center of, of a lot of the transatlantic discourse. And I think, you know, what, what Jim and I have talked a lot about too is kind of a humility. Um, Jim talked about the United States can't really lecture anyone, but that it doesn't mean that we should shy away from supporting democracy, but we just have to do it differently and have a humility about it and recognize that we're often in the same boat in trying to, to defend our democracy. So we really, it, we really value these types of conversations. And I just, Again, want to thank you for taking your time. I know it's a really busy time in the aftermath of this election. Your expertise is in high demand, but thank you for taking the time to share it with our Brussels Sprouts listeners. Um, and we, again, will continue this dialogue on the state of democracy, um, both in the United States, but in your neck of the woods as well. So thank you. Thank you so much.